As homeschooling parents, we want the best for our children, so it helps to hear what works for other families. Today, veteran homeschooler Sherry Blomquist is here to talk about the importance of teaching systematic grammar. Stay with us. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Welcome, I'm Lisa Maladnik, and today we're talking with Sherry Blomquist about the importance of teaching systematic grammar. Sherry Blomquist is a freelance teacher and author, as well as the mother of four daughters and one son. She's been part of the homeschool community since 2005 as a parent and as a teacher for various tutorial programs. In addition to her work in education, she has written fiction, poetry, and other materials for various programs and publications, such as The Old Schoolhouse Magazine. And she is the author of two books, Before Austin Comes Aesop, the children's great book, and how to experience them, and Maria Von Trapp and her musical family. Such great topics. Currently, she lives near Nashville, Tennessee, where she continues to homeschool, write, and teach. You can learn more about her writing and teaching on her website, Once Upon a Pen, and we've got that in the show notes for you. Also, visit her YA book review website, What's In It? The Concerned Parents Guide to Young Adult Literature. You are just a plethora of great resources for us, Sherry. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, it's my joy. It's so good to meet you. Um, say a little bit for us just about how you fell in love with grammar and writing, because not everybody gets it. <laughs> well, I can't say I love grammar. I love writing, but I, I grammar is one of those things that uh, I think I learned to like pretty well because it's kind of soothing. It's a nice break from the creative chaos of, of writing. Um, it's kind of very logical and you know, it makes sense. Um, but I, I was very fortunate to get uh, solid grammar instruction in uh, my little Christian schools growing up. I uh, had it just about every year until high school. And I don't remember, but high school is kind of a blur. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I did learn to love writing very young. I, I, um, I think I was given a lot of creative writing assignments in school, and so I realized I really liked it. So I tried my hand at writing a book, <laughs> and The Grandfather Clock Mouse, and that was my first Aww. little book. And uh, ever since then, I've been I've been writing um, some years more than others, and uh, it's just it's been what I kind of just grew into. Decided that was what I wanted to do if I could. So. Yeah. Oh, I love <laughs> stories about how people get kind of ignited about writing. And for me as a writer, I'd been a writer for a while when I first got a chance to teach a little academic writing for Homeschool Connections. And I learned so much. And I realized how powerful it was for helping with clarity. That when you really want someone to understand your thoughts, that punctuation and grammar stuff really comes in handy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. It really it's almost does. like focusing the lens. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you really can't, uh, you can't leave grammar out. There's just, uh, you know, at some point you have to know, you have to know how to do it, uh, how to do it correctly. And um, you have to know how to punctuate. And it's, 
you know, you, it's not part of the creative process, but it is part of the process of creating, of polishing up a piece of writing, no matter what kind it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen to that. And it gives you such confidence, too. So um, define for us the term that we're using today, which is systematic grammar. Uh, that's a good question, because maybe what I mean by it isn't what other people mean by it. But first, we need to define grammar itself. And by that, I, I kind of have two ways of thinking about it. One is that umbrella term grammar. When we talk about a grammar class, we talk about the the parts that make up our language, the parts of speech, the clauses, the predicates, and so on. But then we also include usage, we include mechanics, and we include style. And all four of those pillars fall under the umbrella term of grammar. But then there's also grammar as in the literal grammar um, where we're parsing a sentence and understanding its component parts. So when I talk about systematic grammar, I'm talking about all four pillars of grammar. And what that when I talk about that, it's well, either way, actually, it's a it's more a logical, very organized manner of teaching grammar so that we so that the student understands the inner structures and rules of our language or whatever language you're they're learning. Really, I'm sure it applies to any language. And so it is a manner of teaching in such a way that we begin in that the that the student gets the fun, the foundation of our language so that then we can build upon it with uh, the mechanics, knowing where to put the punctuation, the capitalization. And then we so we know how to use grammar properly, um, you know, like subject verb agreement. You can't talk about subject verb agreement if you don't know what a subject and a verb are. So you need to have that foundation of the inner workings and the components so that you can talk about usage and you can talk about punctuation. And then from there, once you have that mastery of the basics of, of the, the things that make up our language, then we add style. And that's where you can make your writing beautiful. And that's where you can manipulate our language to the best effect, um, like Shakespeare did, where he was able to uh, do exactly what he wanted for the effect of his poetry and his plays or, or, or what any poet does. Um, and it's where we can be attentive to the rhythms of our writing and say, oh, this doesn't sound very good. It would sound better if I wrote the sentence like this. But you can't do that very well if you don't know enough about our language to, to see that one part can fit over here just as grammatically as another part and be able to um, to discern that the rhythm would be better if it was over here. Um, and so style is is kind of what we're going for, but you have to have the other pillars in order to establish that style and, and be able to have that mastery and um, over the language. Um, and for example, if you don't know what a uh, prepositional phrase is, you can't identify misplaced modifiers um, or what was the, um, the other term I'm looking for, um, dangly modifiers. Um, you 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 can sense it. You might see it and be and and instinctively know how to move a phrase like that. But if you know what a prepositional phrase is, you can spot it immediately and say, "Oh, this is a dangly modifier. I need to put it over here." But you can't do that if you don't know grammar. Um, so systematic grammar um, does that. It helps the student understand thoroughly so that they have that language and that inner that understanding in order to do the other three pillars um, effectively or use them. 
Yeah. And, and it's so neat when you start to see the light bulbs go off for student writers, too. It's almost like when you see a toddler first learning to ice skate, and they're just learning how to shift their weight and maybe eventually do a little bit of a circle and eventually a figure eight. They're laying track work for the more complex, right. more personalized movements that will evolve right. over time. But it's just mm -hmm. like any art form is that it has a structure. It has something that then you can be incredibly creative with once you master the basics. Exactly. I, I took ballet for seven years as a child and I couldn't do tourgetes across the, the floor if I didn't know how to do a plie and a tendu. And, you know, they're boring and they're at the bar and sure, I can point my, you know, I can be told to point my foot while I do a tourgete, which is a jump across the floor, but I will do it far better if I have exercises at the bar in which I specifically practice tendus, um, you know, which is just pointing the foot. So it, it, anything you, you know, a sport or an art has a technique, has a has an inner inner structure, like you said, has a theoretical base. Um, and anybody who knows that will do a better job because they understand, they really understand. So. Yeah. And like you said, it's practice, 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 drilling, 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 whether it's piano or acting or any art right. form, there's something that has to become so familiar that it becomes a part of you and then really releases all of that potential for expression. Yeah. And, and there's times, too, that, you know, you can like as a writer, I can just write creatively, and not think about my grammar. But if I get to the point where I'm stuck and I'm really struggling and I just don't know what I want to say next, or um, I don't know how to say it. That's when my creative spirit kind of dies. And I have to rely on the techniques I know. I have to rely on the craft of writing because I don't have my creative mind is just kind of, <laughs> you know, but if I, if I have that strong base of grammar and how a paragraph is structured and things like that, then then I can rely, I can go back to that base and keep going even even when I don't feel like it um, and that's a creative thing and not really grammar but um, I think it applies to just about anything the more we understand the more power we have over that that thing um, and grammar is no different um, even though it's treated that way in in American education yeah, and, and really good writing and really good expression has kind of fallen by the wayside in a lot of American education, unfortunately. But sometimes, like you said, you might be creatively blocked, but if you know what the shape of it needs to be, you can do all your bad writing in the correct shape and go back when you're, when you've had a break and come back with fresh eyes and pour some inspiration back in. But having that framework to work with, again, I'll just say it again, creatively, it sets you free. Yeah, I, when I teach writing, I I very specifically tell my students to to separate, you know, to when they're composing, to forget about grammar and spelling and punctuation, because our critical mind can kind of snuff out our creative mind. And when we're trying to create, we can't also be criticizing ourselves. Um, we we can't do both at the same time. Uh, very well. And so I tell them, you know, you you focus on the rough draft, you're pre-writing, you're revising, get your ideas the way you want them. And then when you get to editing and proofreading, that's when you take out your your editor hat. And that's when you look at your grammar, your diction, your um, your 
punctuation and all those things. There's plenty of time and you can, you know, you, know, you don't have to do it while you're composing. It, 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 it is very mind numbing. It, it can kill that, that creativity. Yeah, um, exactly. So, but I feel like, um, you know, American education has, the problem with the, what has happened in American education is that they have, te- the, the educators have pretty much snuffed out s- systematic grammar. And the problem is that they have gone overboard in trying to keep that creative spirit alive in, in student writers so that they can compose, but they've gone to the other extreme in getting rid of of uh, sufficient grammar instruction. And that is where um, I really depart company with my with fellow educators because I've seen what happens when students don't have grammar, uh, sufficient grammar instruction. Um, they they really struggle when they get to the editing and proofreading steps of the of the right of the writing process. Um, and at that point they're they're lost and they can't fix what they can't see. They might feel it. They might say, you know, this doesn't sound good or but I don't know what to do about it, but they they can't improve something they don't understand. And, you know, even though we speak fluent English, that doesn't necessarily transfer the same way to to a, an essay or a, or a research paper or something. It, it seems like it should, but it, it doesn't necessarily. And if you don't know the rules for commas, you may not know that that dependent clause needs needs a comma after it and that can change the whole meaning of the sentence without that comma (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. the common the common uh example i've heard is um go eat grandma you know (laughs) you have the comma after eat go eat grandma instead of no commas go eat grandma (laughs) you know that (laughs) comma makes a difference (laughs) it certainly does (laughs) yeah yeah. So I, I very much advocate that that um, students need that systematic grammar to to fill in those gaps. But um, back in the 80s, I think it was the 80s. I read 1985. I'm not sure if that's true. But back in the 70s or 80s, schools began to drop that, except for little dinky Christian schools like mine that kept on with their traditional ways. And um, the, the idea was that um, grammar does not make you a good writer. It does not promote good writing, and it, um, it students will learn to write by writing. And so, when I was in teacher training college, then I was taught by my professors. I went to a conservative Christian college. Okay, so this had become mainstream by then, and it wasn't about liberal and conservative, left or right, or or anything like that. It wasn't about um, it. It was it was really it was really mainstream by then that that teachers should teach, and I was taught to teach this in my teacher training classes, that when I taught English, I should just have students write and not even teach them any structured writing lessons, which um, I've done an about based on that. But I was also taught to teach mini lessons during a writing project. So when I would see a student, um, when I would look at the student's work, I would say, oh, they need, um, they need, they, we need to do a little mini lesson on semicolons. And then I would I would do the semicolon lesson, then we go on with the writing project. Um, so I would insert many lessons as needed. And I guess it sounded okay, you know, back in, back then. And, and really, it, it was kind of untried. We hadn't seen the results of this new 
way of doing things. Because it used to be that systematic grammar was the norm throughout the country. My, my grammar book um, is a classic in the field. Um, if you want to be really grammar nerd, <laughs> nerd about it, uh, the Warner's English Grammar and Composition book, which was used in public schools throughout the country for many years, including my school. And, and so it used to be that kids got it. But then the students, um, you know, the, the teachers dropped that off and they did the mini lesson approach. And, um, and I've, I've read that educators will swear by this, that I've seen an improvement in my students' writing uh, because I focus on, on the writing and not doing the systematic grammar. I can't deny that's what they've seen, but I haven't seen that. I've seen the opposite. I've seen students struggle because they didn't, they don't, they don't know. They just don't know that they have a comma splice. They don't know mm -hmm. that they have that they have the commas in the wrong place and that their grammar is, is incorrect. So, um, so I've kind of gone the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, and just briefly, you mentioned this idea that there are disagreements about the way students learn. What are some other common objections to teaching this kind of, uh, I wanted to say strategic, and it kind of is, systematic grammar? Well, I think that um, that the, the the main mantra is that it doesn't promote good writing, and that that actually is true. It doesn't help you become a good writer. You can study all the grammar in the world, but it's not going to help you compose beautiful ideas and and excellent stories and um, good arguments. That's it's a different realm from that. But it it has to be subjugated to writing, um, and to the overall writing umbrella. It can't be just ignored, um, and and educators will also uh, say that um, the other big argument I've seen is that it kills the creative creative spirit. And because students get so worried about the rules and, and techniques that they that they lose their their uh, you know the, the creativity and their ability to be free on the page and develop their own voice. Well, I can't deny that either because I mean I, I actually agree with that because that happened to me um, when I, I got so much grammar in school that um, and, and I you know as I said I like to write I wrote all the time I would write during recess I would write behind my you know my desk while my teacher was you know off talking to a parent or something I I was um, I was very much uh, immersed in my in my own little world for years and and I just I wrote as a form of play but I remember that sometime in middle school, I started to be very worried about following the rules. And I became very rule-minded. I remember being feeling, starting to feeling very stiff. And um, my writing got kind of wooden and, and stiff and uh, formal, even the creative assignments. And, and I got a lot of those in school. Um, even my creative writing assignments just kind of stiffened up. and. It, it did kind of kill my creative spirit for years. I went through high school, um, not just focused on the things that teenagers are focused on, but also uh, very attuned to rules. And so my creative voice just kind of died for years. And so you can, uh, you know, it took me years to get it back. I had to actually do a lot of work to awaken that, awaken that in me again. So you can go the other extreme and make grammar so important that it excludes the what really matters, which is expressing creative, you know, uh, effect, uh, ideas effectively. But that's what grammar is supposed to do is it's supposed to help the student become a more effective writer. But it's only a part of that. It's it's in that end stage. Um, 
And so when these teachers talk about, when the educators talk about how it doesn't promote good writing, that is true, but you have to, you know, there's the but there, <laughs> yeah. but you can't ignore it either. And systematic grammar, instead of the little mini lessons here and there that I was taught to, to use, um, systematic grammar ensures that the gaps are filled in, that when a student looks at a sentence and then they see a problem, they know exactly what problem it is because they've had all of it. They haven't just had many lessons that target certain weaknesses so that their knowledge is piecemeal. Um, and that I think is really important. It, it eventually, eventually that, that thorough knowledge becomes very important and it helps foster independence and confidence when the students are ready to polish a piece of writing. Mm, amen. Hey, we're going to take a quick sponsorship break uh, for just a second here. Hear from our wonderful sponsors, Maureen and Walter, and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Walter Crawford. And I'm Maureen Whitman. We are the co-founders of homeschoolconnections.com and proud sponsors of the Homeschooling Saints podcast. Which is here to help you homeschool more joyfully, more easily, and more effectively. We want to thank you for listening. And we invite you to check out our courses at homeschoolconnections.com. And now back to our program. All right, we're back and we're here with Sherry Blomquist. Sherry, what are some of the ways that understanding the mechanics of writing really bears fruit in the development, development of our children? What are you seeing? Um, well, I guess I um, touched on it just a minute ago. I hate to repeat, but it, it fills in the gaps. And like I said, it helps develop that confidence. Um, it helps to ensure that when a student is ready to polish a piece of writing, that they don't have to depend on a parent or uh, somebody else to proofread their work, which is still a good thing to do. I mean, your brain will not catch all the mistakes. I've written things that I that I proofread over and over and over, and still found mistakes ten times later. Um, so it's it, but at least I had the knowledge in to find it and eventually my eyes will catch it you know mm -hmm. um and it and it also um uh excuse me and knowing grammar will also um sorry can we cut that i i yeah totally forgot what i was trying to say um the oh okay i remember <laughs> is it okay to continue yeah go right whenever you're ready so along with filling gaps uh, and, and boosting your confidence, the, the third thing that it, it does very well is that it helps them to become polished speakers and writers in general so that later when they graduate from, from high school, they are ready to write that college application essay. They're ready to write a business letter. They have the ability to write a polished piece of writing in the in the sense it'll be it's a life skill that they will use for the rest of their lives and it can really matter for their careers it can matter if they have a business presentation to do it can matter if they have to write an email for for an entire company or if they're a teacher um, and they have to communicate with parents um, there's all kinds of scenarios you know i would imagine even a you know somebody who's a, a blue collar worker who does more physical tasks may need to communicate with clients and the more you can do that with technical precision um and you know the more you can say exactly what you want to say the way you want to say it i think the more credibility 
you have as a writer. If you're if your writing is riddled with mistakes and you're trying to convince an admissions office to, to accept you into their college or something like that, you lose some credibility. Um, I, I've actually heard people, but I had a friend once who looked at a website and she said, well, they have a mistake. I'm just going to, I mean, she didn't even take seriously what that website said because she saw a grammatical mistake. I'm like, whoa, you know, <laughs> um, and my dad, funny, you know, it's kind of funny. The one thing he'd always get mad at me about was if I made a grammar mistake. I, out of all the things he could be mad at me about, that's what he chose to be mad at me about. But I think for him, um, there used to be a mindset that when you spoke correctly and you wrote correctly, it actually kind of boosted your social status because you appeared to be educated. I don't know if it's still that way anymore, but I think it is to a point when, when we see something riddled with errors, we like, hmm, I wonder if I should pay attention to what this person has to say. They can't even write correctly. And it's not fair. It has nothing to do with what they had to say, but it is kind of the judging the book by the cover that we all tend to do at times. Uh, my uncle was a seminary professor and he, if he saw a couple of errors in his students' paper, because by then they're adults, you know, they should be able to write an S a paper, he would get angry and he would just kind of fling it back at the student, like didn't want to grade it. He, he might even fail them. He was <laughs> like, I'm glad I wasn't his student. <laughs> but, you know, that's what happens when you get to be an adult and you're expected to be at a professional level. Um, and if we do that with help our students when they're kids, then we're giving them skills for life, um, for speaking and, and writing and communicating effectively. Yeah. So tell us about some of your favorite tools or techniques. What are some resources? And feel free to include your own programs here. But just give us a little bit of the lay of the land of what you see that's valuable. Um, I, I borrow. I mean, there's there's courses I've written where I've done it completely, almost completely on my own. You know, I've, I've borrowed little from others. Um, you know, my book Before Austin Comes Aesop, well, that was modeled partly on how to read a book by um, uh, blanking on his name. Um, but but with grammar, I, I stuck with tradition. Um, the Warner's English Grammar and Composition program, which, like I said, for grammar nerds, is kind of a, a classic in the, in the field of grammar books because it's systematic and because it's very simple, no nonsense. The rules are in red. It's a nice size so that you, you can put it on a shelf and take it out as a reference book after you're done using it as a textbook. Unfortunately, it's out of print, so you have to <laughs> you have to go um, you have to hunt them. In fact, I've collected a whole bunch of them. So if I if I decide I, I need a few, then I can um, then I have them. But <clears throat> the main thing is that you that there's a good systematic program that 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 follows grammar logically and doesn't leave out gaps. Um, it doesn't leave gaps. But so I do rely on a, a textbook for that instead of my own expertise or whatever. But um, I also borrowed an idea from Michael Clay Thompson, who is a major homeschool language arts uh, author, teacher. Uh, he wrote some program called Grammar Town and uh, Royal Fire Fireworks Press. And um, he developed the idea for four level analysis, I think it's called. And I tweaked it. Um, I've I've added to that a little bit, but it, that, that inspired me a lot. And I use that a lot in my teaching. Um, 
So I, I have six level analysis. And then the other, that's a major component for continual review and practicing parsing a sentence. And that has been hugely, hugely helpful. So thanks to him. Um, and then my, the third thing I, that I do that I, I uh, think is super important is to use real writing as a teaching tool because the ultimate goal here is to help my students become more effective speakers and writers. So we have to use real writing at some point. I don't make them write um, so much. I, I let that say for grammar or for writing class, but I do take real pieces of writing from classic literature or something I've written and I will um, use that and have them apply what we've been talking about. Find the prepositional phrase. Find the um, find the dependent clause. Um, in you know, I'll, I'll have them apply them to actual writing, but I'll also make mistakes. I'll take a passage and I'll make all kinds of mistakes. It used to be called daily oral language in some schools. It's a common common thing for teachers to do: make a lot of mistakes and have the students find them, because. If the students practice that a lot, at some point, you know, if they you get a lot of practice finding mistakes in someone else's work, then you develop the skills for looking for those details, finding the missing comma, finding the missing capital letter. Um, all those tedious little details are easy to miss. If you if you get used to practicing them and finding them, and you get really good at it. Then you can turn around and use it on your own writing, and um, and you're more likely to find the mistakes in your own writing. And that's, of course, the ultimate goal, not not critiquing somebody else's writing. Um, and so those three things, I think, are really important. Um, I've also found that that live classroom instruction can make a difference because I have found that independent study or when I taught live, I answer I'm able to answer a lot of questions I wouldn't have anticipated that students would have had just just following the book. I would have thought, well, it's pretty cut and dried. Just follow it. It's not really that simple. Um, a lot of students need unpacking and discussing and explaining. Um, it's not intuitive. And so live, live instruction help a lot. Oh, great. Thank you so much. We've covered so much in a short period of time. I really appreciate when I meet someone who has a passion for a subject. It's just so much more fun than you would have thought it would be, like when you first start the conversation. I mean, I'm a grammar geek, too. I'm sure I'm not at your level, but um, just it's just so much fun talking with you. What kind of final thoughts or tips of any kind would you like to leave our listeners with, Sherry? Well, I guess I kind of want to go back to um, one idea that um, that American educators do have right and that is easy to to go the other way too much with grammar. And I just want to read this quote. <clears throat> um, sorry, I, can we edit for just a second? Sure, I lost sure. The page. No problem at oh, all. OK, here we go. I'm ready. So this quote came from George Hillocks, who was a University of Chicago professor of English and Education in 1984. And he had this to say, school boards, administrators, and teachers who impose the systematic study of traditional school grammar on their students over lengthy periods of time in the name of teaching writing, do them a, do them a gross disservice that should not be tolerated by anyone concerned with the effective teaching of good writing. And what he has to say there is key um, when he says that um, 
when he says in the name of teaching writing. It's important to understand that teaching grammar is part of writing. It is not the same as teaching writing. Writing instruction is about composition, arguments, ideas, creativity, stories, all those things that make us want to read a piece. But grammar is part of that and it cannot be overlooked. So we don't want to go to one extreme or the other. We need to teach grammar. So I encourage people to um, to not teach grammar at the expense of writing. Like all the diagramming in the world isn't going to help your student become a good writer. Um, but do teach it in a systematic way over, I think Susan Weisbauer once suggested once in elementary school, once in middle school, once in high school. I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly, but teaching it and then the other years that they're not that you're not teaching systematic grammar uh, uh constantly apply it give feedback have them practice when they write a paper you know mark mark the mistakes and remind them you know if you see a common mistake like i had a student who always did comma splices then i had to remind her what a comma splice is and and tell her to watch for that so then you can go back and reteach but um you know we need to have a balance um and and make sure that writing is at the forefront because that's really what it's all about yeah oh so much fun um sherry thank you so much for being with us and thanks everybody for listening today uh, you can find sherry at onceuponapen.studio and that's in our show notes and we've also got her book review website as well that uh w-i-i-l-i-t-guide.com and what does that stand for what's um, in it what's in it yeah, and so it's kind of weletguide.com if you're familiar with the we a machine. So think weletguide.com. Great, great. And, and that's in the show notes. And you can access everybody. it from my other uh, website as well. All right, great. So it's kind of one-stop shopping for Sherry Blomquist at onceuponapen.studio. Uh, all right, Sherry, thanks a million. God bless you, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's honor to be here. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.